The podcast you're about to listen to was taken from one of our live programs. If you don't already listen to Radio Maria Live, you can do so on DAB in selected regions of the United Kingdom or by downloading the app. Just search for Radio Maria Play. All the Radio Maria podcasts are conveniently stored on this app. We'd like to thank all our listeners who support us with monthly donations so that we can continue to be a Christian voice by your side. To find out more about becoming a monthly supporter, visit www.radiomariaengland.uk. You are listening to Radio Maria and this is Father Toby with your word for today on this, the memorial of Our Lady of Sorrows. And let's begin with our first reading, which is taken from John chapter 19. Near the cross of Jesus stood his mother and his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Clopas and Mary of Magdala. Seeing his mother and the disciple, he loved standing near her. Jesus said to his mother, Woman, this is your son. Then to the disciple he said, This is your mother. And from that moment the disciple made a place for her in his home. I was at a a talk um, given by uh, John Crudus, the Labour MP for for Dagenham, on the dignity of work last night, organised by the, the wonderful... Um, charity together for the common good and one of the the sort of themes that seemed to be developing in um, the questions surrounding the talk was the sort of the role of the the state particularly for those who are either unemployed or not earning enough um, from their work and there seemed to be a, a concern that whilst welfare sort of isn't necessary um that what could happen over time is that what welfare um, becomes uh, or charity becomes the business of the of the state and what previously was done by charity um, becomes a, a function of the state. And we might think, well, why is that a, a problem as long as the, the person's material needs are, are being met? Isn't that okay? Well, on one level, you might think, yes, but for the, for the Christian, it's not sufficient that the state does what charity previously did, does, did, because charity for the Christian is supposed to draw us into relationship. Um, and that's why Christian charity and our charitable giving um, can never be exclusively arm's length charity, the sort of good donations that we make to say um, a particular campaign for a disaster in another part of the world or where there's famine, that is a a good thing. But there does have to be a a charity which in a certain extent isn't purely financial but involves me getting mixed up in the life of another Um, because Christian charity draws us into relationship. Um, It's the, the hand that reaches out not to a not to have the person make no further claim upon me, but rather to reach them out, to draw them into relation with me. And that's what why it matters so much that uh, Mary is present 
at the at the cross. Um, it matters that she's there because she's there to 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 be joined in the sufferings of her son, to be there for him. And it's not a matter of what she can what she can do, but simply a matter of her presence. And I want to share with you uh, today um, uh, just a couple of stories that that I was reading from uh, a book to love and be loved, a personal portrait of Mother Teresa by Jim Towie, who we had as a guest on the radio recently. And what the story and what my experience of uh, working with the missionaries of charity, and I know it's the experience of others um, who have come alongside them, is that it's it's transformative in your life because here are uh, uh, women, also, also men, um, a lot of people don't realize the missionaries of charity have a, have a couple of male branches, but the, the, I think it's the women who we particularly associate with this. And in, and, and in their work, they, they, they generally are sort of other Marys coming close to the, uh, the cross of others. And I think it's good to, to hear some of their stories and think how in the circumstances of our life might we engage in uh, such work too. And so Jim Towie writes, the outcasts of society brought out the mother in mother. And we might think in that way, you know, Jesus executed on the cross outside the, the city walls as, a, as, a, as an outcast. And he says, in her speech at the United Nations in 1985, she alluded to the AIDS home she was opening in Greenwich Village. The world was just discovering the illness that spread terrifyingly quickly through communities of outsiders, gay men and drug users. The disease was so awful and mysterious that those who had AIDS were often left with nowhere to go. People were afraid of these new lepers and mother rushed to fill the void. The AIDS home in New York was her first in the United States. Within the next few years, she opened additional homes in Washington DC, San Francisco, Denver, Atlanta and Baltimore. My time as a volunteer at the Gift of Peace home in Washington was one of great fortune for me. The dying I met showed me courage and unbridled dignity. Christine and Gregory are two I can't forget. They moved into the gift of peace in DC within months of each other in 1990, and each seemed among the unlikeliest candidates to have AIDS and be homeless. Both were intelligent and college educated, and each had once held a well-paying job she with Blue Cross Blue Shield and he with Amtrak. Chris had the manner and face of a fashion model and Greg had a wit and charm that drew others to seek his company. With all of this going for them, how did the two end up at the gift of peace? For Greg, the short answer was drugs. He came from a big family, an older sister, Anita, two younger brothers, Neil and Adrian, and baby sister, Bonnie. Their home life had been utterly upended by the murder of their father. Their mother had to work full time to support the family and that left the teenagers on their own. His brothers quickly turned to drugs, but Greg resisted the pull. Anita's good example gave him the strength to resist, he told Jim. But one day he saw her secretly using drugs and he caved in. He was quickly addicted and the drug addict's lifestyle eventually landed him on the streets and then in an AIDS home. 
Jim recounts that on the rare occasions when his brothers came to visit, they offered little love or compassion, and that he once saw them arguing in front of Greg over who would keep to get over who would get to keep his television after he died. And they would spend his monthly government checks and ignore Greg's requests to bring him a packet of cigarettes and some juice to drink. Now Jim recounts how some time prior to his passing he was talking with him and asked if he believed in God and regretted his sin. And Greg answered bluntly, Jim, I have experienced everything you can experience in life and look at where it has gotten me. I want to experience God. I think it would be a good thing. It was as simple as that to him and he asked to be baptized. The sisters made the arrangements and invited his family to attend. Jim says how he carried Greg in his arms from his room down the stairs and into the chapel where the whole family assembled. They likely thought he had been coerced and that this ritual was the quid pro quo for his free care from the sisters. It was anything but that. When Father Ryan began the baptism rite by asking, Greg, do you believe in God, the Father Almighty Creator on heaven and earth? His response was resounding. Greg's I do could not have been stronger or held greater conviction. His mother began to cry and couldn't stop. His siblings were utterly dumbfounded. From that day on, they became regular visitors and often kept a vigil in his room. On the Saturday before he died, his brother Neil and sister Bonnie came to visit. Jim recounts that he was in the room when they arrived and with an unexpected burst of strength, Greg said, Neil, come over here, give me a hug. Neil reluctantly obliged with a quick, stiff embrace. Greg looked at him and continued, You have been a terrible brother, but I forgive you for everything you have done and I love you. Neil began to cry. He didn't say a word. He didn't have to. And then Mother um, Jim also recounts the the story of a, of a lady called Chris um, who stayed in the home, and that's uh, equally moving. Um, and what he what he what he adds is the sisters at Gift of Peace offered Chris and Greg love, care, and forgiveness when their own families and friends couldn't. Greg made peace with his brothers and his past, and Chris's family and friends had a chance to seek forgiveness for their failures. This was Mother Teresa's success. Her life's work sent out ripples of compassion that could transform an AIDS hospice into a place of healing, reconciliation and acceptance. Such love was something the state simply could not provide. And on this feast, I want us to think about what is the love that I'm called to provide that others cannot.